If you were watching two weeks ago, you would have heard Roy explain the meaning of Revelation and the seven sevens. This letter to the church is still important to us today. And despite its apocalyptic imagery, we can see through it. It's relevant for us as a church and take on board the warnings it offers. If you were not watching then, then I encourage you to look at it on our website, where it will help you over the next few weeks as we look at the seven churches. However, I will confess to liking the Left Behind series, wanting to buy every book that came out in hard copy, and also watching every video that came out. Sadly, the one with Nicolas Cage is not the best, uh, but I do rate him as an actor. But before we go any further, I want you to know something about the history of Ephesus. Pergamum was the official capital of the province of Asia, but Ephesus was by far the greatest city. In the time of John, the writer of the book of Revelation, Ephesus was the greatest harbor in Asia. It was nearer to the island of Patmos than any of the other cities. Some 60 miles, a straight sail to the port of Ephesus. All the roads of the Caister Valley merged at this point. But even greater was the roads from further afield, such as far off Euphrates and Mesopotamia. All come this way to Colossae and Laodicea. Here they met at Ephesus. This made Ephesus the wealthiest and greatest city in Asia. It was also given the title of a free city due to its services to the empire. This meant, like us, it was self-governing and exempt from having Roman troops garrisoned there. However, this wealth also gave way to pagan worship, for Ephesus was the center of the worship of Artemis, or as the AV calls her, Diana of the Ephesians. The temple of Artemis was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was 425 feet long, 220 feet wide, with 120 columns, each 60 foot high, and a gift from a king. Ephesus was also the center of pagan superstition. Yes, it was famous for the Ephesian letters, but also amulets and charms which supposedly healed sickness and allowed children to those who were childless. So you can understand that people traveled far to buy them. Yet despite this, it has been said that nowhere did the word of God find a kindlier soil, strike root more deeply, or bear fruits of faith and love. And you can understand why Paul's heart was for the Ephesians, for he stayed here longer than any other city, in fact, for over three years. Sadly, today, there is little left but ruins. The coast is now a sandy beach, unapproachable by ship due to, due to the silt from the river Caister. Roy spoke of Christ holding the seven stars in his right hand. The seven stars refer to the seven angels of the churches. That is to say, he holds the seven churches in his hand, and that he has complete control over the church. That is, if the church submits to his control. And if it does so, it will never go wrong. 
But there is more than that. Our security lies in the fact that we are in the hand of Christ. John 10, 28 says, They shall never perish, and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. Now that is the whole church, and we are to remember it is not just our church, but all. It continues with the fact that he walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. The lampstands are the other churches. And it tells us that Christ operates in his churches where people meet to worship in his name. As we investigate these seven churches, we will soon see that there is a pattern in the letters. Firstly, one, a greeting to the angel of the church that is in. Two, a title of the risen Christ, usually taken from the description in chapter one. Three, a section headed, I know, introducing praise for what is good in the church's record, but not in the case of Laodicea. Four, a criticism of the church, not in the case of Smyrna or Philadelphia. Five, a warning. Six, an appeal beginning. He that hath an ear. Seven, a promise. Beginning with something like that, to him that overcomes, I will give. In the last four letters, the order of six and seven is reversed. But also a further pattern is seen. Churches one and seven are in grave danger. Churches two and six are in excellent shape. Churches three, four, and five are middling. Neither particularly good nor particularly bad. In verses 1 to 7, we read that the risen Christ praises the Christians of Ephesus because they have tested evil men and proved them liars. You may see evil men come into the little congregation of the early church. Jesus had warned them of false prophets who were wolves in sheep's clothing, Matthew 7. In his farewell speech to the elders of the very first church in Ephesus, Paul had warned them that savage wolves would invade the flock, Acts 20, 29. Now, there were representatives from the Jews who sought to trap Christians in the law, following Paul everywhere, trying to undo his work. There were those who were professional beggars who preyed on the charity of the Christian congregations, as the church was the highway to Rome and to the east. It was subject to numerous evil people. You can see why the New Testament often refers to testing. Paul insists that the Thessalonians should test all things and hold them to what is good. Many of us will remember the verse, by their fruits you will know them. Are they loving? Are they kind? Are they faithful? Are they sacrificial? Do they give up their selves and their money? Do they partake in worship or just attend? Do they want to change or do they want to change you? These are questions that we too need to consider at ABC in our daily life together. The Church of Ephesus had faithfully applied its test 
and have weeded out all evil and misguided people. But the trouble was, something had got lost in the process. Jesus says in verse 4, But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you first had. I don't know about you, but I get worn down by, peop by people sometimes, by getting alongside people who take up considerable hours, only to leave for no real reason. I get worn down by people failing to do a task, which then falls for me to pick it up. I can only assume that this church had got worn down by such time wasters and lost their first love. Who remembers their first love? My first love was a girl called Karen. We went out from 14 to 16 and a half. Karen obtained nine O-levels. I obtained PSC grade one woodwork. In 1993, as a single man, I bumped into her mother, who told me that Karen was living in Southampton. It was the day before I went to Australia. So upon my return in those days, tall, dark hair, slim, with a tan. I went to see where Karen worked. For several months, this 30-something male became the love-struck teenager again, only to have the bubble burst when Karen's boyfriend returned from a cruise where he worked for six months. Who remembers when I first became a Christian and felt this overwhelming love for others and for Jesus? whose zeal was passionate and full of enthusiasm. Watch Ross's baptism and testimony. It's exciting and invigorating. Who remembers the excitement of seeing new people come to faith? Who remembers but has lost their first love? I personally believe that the love they once had had now gone. I can imagine that they once loved each other and through dissension had worn away. Now, just because something has been lost doesn't mean that it cannot be found. If a fire goes out, you can relight it. If an engine on a car blows up, it can be rebuilt. If the roast dinner gets burst, sorry, gets burnt because of a long service, well, you can go to Toby's, can't you? So Jesus makes this threefold appeal to the church at Ephesus to return upon the journey. First, he says, remember. Now, he's not speaking to someone who has never been inside the church. He's speaking to those who are inside but have somehow lost their way. And memory can often be the first step back. In the story of the prodigal son, he remembered his home. I read the story of a girl, sorry, of a village lad who at school sat beside a girl, a sweet, innocent girl. Over time, this lad fell into bad company and became an expert pickpocket, having just picked a pocket and feeling pleased with himself. He suddenly saw the girl who used to sit beside him. She was the same sweet, innocent girl, but suddenly he remembered what he had been, and realized what he was. For him, that became his first step back 
But the first step is to acknowledge that something has gone wrong. Secondly, Jesus says, repent. You see, when we realize that something is wrong, there is more than one reaction. We could feel that nothing could rekindle that first love and accept that it is gone. Or we could be filled with resentment and blame life instead of facing it ourselves. We might decide that the thrill had now gone and seek alternative forbidden ways, forbidden pathways to spice up our lives. But Jesus says, repent. Repentance is the admission that the fault is ours and the feeling of sorrow for it. The prodigal's reaction was, I will get up and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. It was Saul's cry of the heart when he realized his foolishness. He said, I have done wrong. Come back, my son David. The hardest thing about repentance is the acceptance of personal responsibility for our own failures. For once the responsibility is accepted, the godly sorrow will surely follow. Thirdly, he says, do. You see, the sorrow of repentance is meant to drive us to two things. First, it is meant to bring us back to the mercy of God, saying, God be merciful, merciful to me, a sinner. Second, it is meant for repentance, for no one has truly repented when they do the same thing again and again. It has been said that the greatest truth of Christianity is that no person needs to stay where they are. The proof of repentance is a changed life, a life changed by our effort in cooperation with the grace of God. The question will always be, do we want to change? The danger here is that if we choose not to change, then the Bible tells us in, in verse 5, but if not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand. lampstand. Difficult words to hear. Jesus says, if you do not change, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Remember that the church is described as a lampstand and that if we do not honor Jesus, then he will blow the candle out and take his spirit from here and the church will close. If you had read any of the Left Behind series, the person depicted as the beast is called Nikolai Carpathia. And if you wondered why such a name was chosen, it is taken from this passage we've just read. Verse 6 refers to the Nicolaitans. Now they worshipped Balaam. And if you want to understand more, then read the book of Numbers, and especially chapters 25 and 31, where we will hear of them again in the letter to the church of Pergamon. 
I will leave it with saying that John felt that the Nicolaitans were worse than pagans and the most dangerous of all the heretics. The passage concludes with, let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. To everyone who conquers, I will give permission to eat from the tree of life that is in the paradise of God. Now, the tree of life is in the Genesis story and the Garden of Eden. Do you remember its fruit was forbidden to be eaten? Yet Adam and Eve ate of the fruit which led them to being banished from the garden. This passage tells us that if we remain faithful and follow the Holy Spirit's guidance, then we will be allowed to eat this once forbidden fruit in paradise. So how do we remain faithful? How do we ensure that we follow Jesus and the Holy Spirit's leading? How do we remember our first love and rekindle the flame? Earlier I mentioned of my disappointments and struggles of being a minister. I cited two examples of where I can feel let down. There are times that I have wondered if I should give up and move on. But I have never doubted my calling. I remember the people who encouraged me and supported me. I remember how the doors opened, commencing by first speaking to Bill, our former minister, and then testing the calling within the church to be interviewed, to being interviewed by a regional minister, to being put forward for ministerial recognition, and interviewed by eight people. And finally, a two-day interview at Regent's Park College, Oxford, before being accepted for training into the Baptist ministry. When things get tough, I remember the journey. And the excitement as each door stayed open and led me to the next. I would remind you of your journey to faith. How you first found Jesus to be your Lord and Saviour. It might have been a conversation with a friend or a work colleague who introduced Jesus into a conversation. It might have been from a welcome at the door when you first entered this church or from a conversation that was held inside. It might have been a song sung which resonated with your soul or it could have been words spoken from a pulpit. For each of us, it is a different story, but one to be hold on to. However, the story needs feeding, or we die. We need to keep in fellowship with God in prayer, while follow the teaching of Jesus. We need to keep in fellowship with each other, by regular attendance in church, or Zoom, or live streaming. Attend a home group. We need to read our Bibles. Seeking, what does it mean to us today? As we need physical food to give us strength and energy, we need spiritual food to continue the Christian journey. The Bible is our food, and we get strength and energy from it. And Jesus is our example of how we should live our lives.
for a moment. Remember that first love. That first love experience when you came to faith. Or if you're just embarking on discovering what Christian life is all about. Remember what brought you here. And be thankful. If what Roy said a few weeks ago and what I've said this morning does not make sense, please ask any mature Christian that you know to explain it more to you. There's nothing wrong in asking questions or questioning one's faith. That is normal. What is wrong is to let it be unanswered because unanswered questions fester, which leads to disaster and your own personal lamp going out. If you are struggling, struggling with your faith now, please get in touch and let me or someone else come alongside you. These times are not easy and frustration can easily enter and cause problems. I hope and pray that as these theories develop, it helps us understand more deeply how Jesus sees the church. But more importantly, that we seek his will, his way, and continue following his teaching. Amen.